Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. I am your host, Aaron Summers. John DeShazer will be joining me shortly as we have a big episode today with two guests. On today's episode, we'll be recapping some of the Saints draft and looking at our opponents for the upcoming season with the voice of the Saints, Mike Haas. The NFL schedule will be released on Thursday at 7 p.m. Central on the NFL Network. John DeShazer and myself will have a full breakdown on NewOrleansSaints.com on Friday. Before we get into our conversation with Mike, let's bring in NFL on Fox sideline reporter Jen Hale to discuss the signing of New Orleans' own Tyron Matthew. Jen, it is so good to have you on the podcast. It's been a while. We talked to you last fall during football season, as far as the Saints go, and welcoming you back because you have ties to a recent addition to the Saints. So we're going to start off with just how are you doing today? I'm fabulous. I am so excited for the schedule release. So excited about our newest member of the Saints that he's back home. Uh, Such a fan favorite, such a triumphant story uh, that inspires everybody. You can not not be inspired by what Tyron Matthew went through, overcame and is now on the other side of. So he's going to be such a tremendous force on and off the field. When did you start following him or covering him as a player here in the New Orleans area? It's actually one of my favorite stories, Aaron. So um, when I first started with the NFL on Fox, I was living in the French Quarter. And we would get, each team would send us a packet every week with the game day materials, all the scouting reports, all that good stuff. And then Fox itself would send us their research all in hard copy form. So I would get three big UPS deliveries a week. And Tyron's dad was my UPS delivery driver. So, you know, he couldn't help but notice that every week he's bringing this stuff from NFL teams and the NFL on Fox. And he asked me what I did. And he told me, you know what? You need to remember my son's name. My son is at St. Aug. Uh, He's going to be going to LSU next year. And he's going to be tremendous down the road. His name is Tyron Matthew. And I loved Mr. Tyrone so much. I thought, you know, I'm going to watch out for this kid. Who knows? You know, and lo and behold, you know, what a story, what a journey. Um, And then, of course, through Tyron's struggles at LSU, I I covered those as well. And I think that's when I got really especially close with the family. Uh, I have some um, similar problems that run in my family. So we we had a lot of common ground. How do you how do you handle that situation? How do you how do you help somebody? Um, And obviously, there were some really rough times for Tyron where he got involved with the wrong crowd, where he tried to shake free and it didn't work. And so often in those situations, it is. One step forward, two steps back. One step forward, one step back. And, and it's a long process. So um, getting to see how he handled it, how he coped with it, and how his family coped with it. I, I can remember his mom, Ms. Sheila, and his dad, Mr. Tyrone, calling me and saying, hey, we need some advice. There is media camped out on our lawn. What is happening? This, this, is, this is so bizarre. We have two other daughters. This is so upsetting to them. Um, it, it was very interesting to see it through a journalist's eyes, through uh, a family member who had been through something similar's eyes, and then through a friend's eyes, because I really did become friends with them and and on this journey. So um, long answer to your question, Erin. We've been friends for a long time. I have been watching this young man since since he was in high school. It's hard to believe he's turning 30 this week, I believe, May 13th. Um, engaged with kids of his own. It's just, it's awesome. Jen, I know it's hard to rank redemption stories because all of them are really significant. 
but I guess how can you put his in perspective? Because I remember, um, you know, covering him also, you know, following him to New York for the Heisman Trophy presentation when he, you know, was a top five finisher. And then him, you know, being dismissed from LSU and for him to get his life together. Because I was one of the people who thought, you know what, this kid's never going to get it together. He's never going to figure it out. And um, even going to Patrick Peterson's dad's <laughs> to kind of live and, and work out before the NFL draft, it was like, well, how much is that going to help if that's not really in it? So, you know, as a redemption story, he, he, he's great. But where would you kind of kind of rank him, I guess, if you could? Because like I said, all of them are pretty significant, but his seems really, really big. I agree, J.D. Uh, him and Darren Waller, they're both just right up there for me. Um, and I'm glad you brought up the Pat Peterson point because that is such a wonderful, wonderful example of what true friendship, family friendship is. When you reach out to somebody and you don't just say, I'm thinking about you, I'm here if you need something. You say, no, this is what you need and and, and this is what's going to happen. Um, for Tyron and for guys like um, Darren, Look, it's hard for anybody in that situation, so hard for anybody in that situation to make a true life change. But when you're doing it under a national media spotlight with all the money that's involved, with all the negative influences that even guys without those type of problems run into, um, there are a lot of vultures out there. It is it just makes the odds, the chances of being able to come back from something like that so much more difficult. And, you know, I don't want to speak for Tyron, but, but I think it was a huge reason why we didn't see him back around New Orleans or South Louisiana for so long, because he needed to make sure he was away from any of those influences, any of those folks who might say something like, oh, you owe me, you forgot where you came from. Um, and he needed to make sure he wasn't just straight, but he was strong as well. Um, so selfishly, I'm so happy he's coming back to New Orleans because he's a hometown hero, but it also tells me, wow, because he stayed away for so long, he wouldn't tell anybody when he came in town and he was in and out to see his, his immediate family. Um, he's in a good place and he's confident that he has beaten the, these demons. And I'm so thrilled that he'll be here to talk to other kids and other people in the, this same situation, because if he can do it, anybody can do it. You know, he, he had the addiction issues, then, you know, he's been open about his story about, you know, how his aunt and uncle adopted him. There were just a lot of factors that, that led to somebody having a tough time and, and having, having trouble coping with, with all the problems. Um, and I think him sharing his story and how he did it is going to be monumentally life-changing for a lot of folks in similar situations. How difficult is it to strike the balance between friend and journalist? Because <laughs> I look at him and, and I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that I'm proud of him. Um, you see kids fall down and never get back up. And for him to not just get back up, but get back up and accomplish what he has, um, it's almost inhumane to me to not feel some sense of pride uh, seeing him grow up in New Orleans. I agree with you a thousand percent, J.D. Um, there are some things that are bigger than sports. Um, sports is a game. This is real life. And so I, I don't have one single qualm about saying he's my friend. I'm proud of him as well. I'm proud of his family for hanging in there. Gosh, that's hard. Um, it, it, it is a fine line, that's for sure. And, and in fact, that's kind of how Mr. Tyrone and Michelle and I became friends. It isn't that I didn't cover the story. It's that they appreciated the way I did it 
because like I said, I did have some personal experiences with that type of situation. And so the questions I asked and the way I tried to frame things, um, for instance, making sure the two younger daughters were never in any of our B-roll shots. Um, th those were little things that made them say, we respect how you do your job. We don't feel like you're a vulture. We feel like you really are a journalist. We understand there's a story that you have to tell here, but leaving our two little girls out of it, that's the right thing to do. And it was the right thing to do, you know? Um, and I think sometimes in the, in the, um, spirit of competition and the rush to get the story, especially when national media is there and, and, and it does kind of become this feeding frenzy. You can lose the rules of the game, the ethical rules of the game to me. And, and um, because it was a local story, because they were people that everybody in South Louisiana knows each other, um, you know, there was no chance I was going to lose sight of that. Like perhaps some other folks that aren't from here that once they file their story, they're out on a plane to the next thing, but th this is our community. And, and you want to make sure people are treated right. Even though you have a job to do, you can do both. You can balance both at the same time if you try hard enough. So now um, Tyron is going to have a, a Mrs. Badger and um, he's got two little honey badgers. Um, how have you seen him evolve from that standpoint? Because, you know, there's a maturing process that goes along with that. And he seems to have assumed that responsibility extremely well. Yeah, he'll tell you his kids have changed his life. And, and I think that's part of what helped him take that next step to be strong enough to come back to South Louisiana and not be worried that he would, you know, fall back into a bad crowd. Um, he lives for his children. Uh, he knows how important um, his family has been to him with what he's been through. And he's absolutely determined to be there for his kids. And um, yes, Mrs. Honey Badger is a fun story, JD, because you probably remember her. Sydney was a honeybee and a dancer for the Pelicans way back when. Um, I interviewed Tyron at a couple of Pelicans games. I guess actually their last year's the Hornets, as a matter of fact, because um, he had come to watch Sydney dance. And then they, you know, of course, life happens and, and, and it's always a bit of a roller coaster, but now they're engaged and getting married. They're off on his birthday trip right now. So it's, it's a fun story and it just makes it so much better that he's, you know, marrying the hometown sweetheart as well. That's awesome. I did not know that that was the connection there. I know yeah. you've covered him at several different stages throughout his career and in the NFL and just his ability to, to come back and play after sitting a year out after what happened at LSU. But how have you seen him grow as a football player as well? On the field, uh, you know, he's always been fantastic. He, he was undersized, obviously, um, for your prototypical back. Uh, but he always used that to his advantage. And I think Pat Peterson really well, first of all, he wouldn't have been drafted, I don't think, if it weren't for Pat Peterson um, after Tyron was with Pat's dad, Pat went to Michael Bidwell, the owner of the Cardinals, and, and really lobbied for him and said, look, I staked my reputation on this. I know this kid. Give him a shot. So they took him in the third round. What a steal that turned out to be, right? Three-time pro bowler, Super Bowl champ. Um, I've seen his confidence grow. I've seen his knowledge of the game grow, obviously. Uh, and I've seen him develop as a leader where it's like the game, not only is it slowed down for him, personally on the field, but it's slowed down for him enough that now he's tutoring and helping other people making his teammates better, not just by being in his right spot, but by being able to tell people what he's seeing on the field. You know, quarterbacks have such a great knowledge of football because they see the whole field. And, and in reverse, on the other side for the defense, 
it's usually your secondary that has the greatest court, greatest field vision. Excuse me. I'm still thinking NBA playoffs. Um, they see the game unfold from a defensive perspective, much like a quarterback sees the game unfold from an offensive perspective. So he um, not only does he see all that, but now he's able to share that and communicate that with his younger teammates and teach them. And that's a huge reason why I think he's going to be such a plus for the saints, especially when they've lost Malcolm Jenkins, who was so cru crucial in that role for the black and gold. Now you stole it right out of my mouth, Jen. Um, I was going to ask, how does this really kind of sit now that Malcolm Jenkins is gone? It seems like an almost perfect transition. Perfect. Seamless. JD, I think we both remember after that Super Bowl year when they cleaned out so many of the veterans, especially on the defensive side, Malcolm being one of them, Roman Hart, there was such a void in leadership. It was awful. It just, it couldn't be overcome. Um, you had to rebuild that. And I think even though SP isn't there anymore, there are people in that building who remember that process and, and remember that mistake. And so I think besides the talents Tyron brings on the field, I think that was certainly something in their minds. Who are we going to get to be that locker room leader to make sure we don't go through that dark time again, where, where we have a bad locker room essentially, because that's something you just can't overcome. You know, he couldn't explain it to me and, and I'm sure you can either. And I, I don't have an explanation for it, but have you seen many players like him where the ball just kind of finds him? I mean, there's certain people you know, maybe Troy Palomalu or something. I mean, there's certain people, but he's one of them where, you know, how many people they, do you see like that where the ball just kind of finds the dude all the time? J.D., if you can't explain it, I certainly <laughs> You know, talking to him about it, he, he would go back to his days um, growing up on the playground. A, he was undersized to begin with. Yeah. Um, B, he, he played with kids older than him. And they certainly weren't going to give him the ball because he was the run. He was the little kid. He was the one annoying them, you know, go home. He had to go find it and take it if he wanted a chance to play. And although maybe it was seemingly mean or hard for him back then, boy, did it sure pay off now. He's grown up scrapping and fighting for what he wants and going to get it. And it's a lesson he has not forgotten. Yeah, I, I was kind of ticked off. He didn't get the highest man at LSU. I, I, you know, there's only one defensive player who's gotten it. That's Charles Woodson. Kind of? Uh, Absolutely and the, ticked off. And the way, yeah, yeah. I mean, because the way he played that year, he sh he should have won the Heisman. I'm I'm biased, but he should have won it. I mean, everything he did on the field. So you know, so so now with the Saints, what would be? I know what the perfect. You know, I know the answer to this. But what would be the perfect ending for him uh, for this season or seasons beyond? I mean, gosh, I'd love to see the Saints get another Super Bowl. Uh, I, yeah, I'm biased in that that regard. Um, he knows what it takes to win a championship. He won one with the chiefs. Hopefully he can bring that know-how back into this locker room because everybody from the Saints super bowl run player wise is gone. Um, and, and a lot of the coaches as well, not all. Um, I would love to see that. I, and you know what, I would also love to see him become a Walter Payton man of the year. And I think with what he plans to do off the field in new Orleans, uh, there's such a need for it in the city, such a need for those types of role models, those guys who've been there, done that. Uh, you, you can't tell them that it's impossible to do because he did it. Uh, I could see him having having that type of award in his future, and, and I would love it for him. Yeah, you know, that's the thing about him. He continued to to do his community work in New Orleans, even though he was with the Chiefs or, you know, he was with, Saint, you know, Arizona or wherever it was, uh, Houston. He continued to do his charity work here, which is, you know, always impressive when a guy decides to 
maintain his ties to his hometown uh, and, and just plant his roots wherever he is playing. So, yeah, yeah, we always thought highly of him from that regard, too. And now he doesn't have to uh, ask for permission uh, so much to use the indoor facility. <laughs> What do we exactly. think, exactly. What do we really think the hard. reception is going to be like for him when they take the field in the Superdome for the first time this year? Gosh, it's going to be phenomenal. Uh, when the news broke, that's those are the comments I kept getting. I cannot wait to see him in the Dome. I cannot wait to see him wearing black and gold um, from an LSU. I, I mean, he covers all the bases, right? He's from New Orleans. He started LSU. He went through this tremendous comeback story, and everybody in New Orleans is so proud of him there isn't a better lightning rod. There isn't a better ambassador. Uh, we talk about won't bow down as the slogan for the Pelicans because it's the slogan for the city. And, and that's so true. And, and he is certainly um, a prime example of that. And, and people love him. They embrace him. They celebrate his triumphs because he's real. It's not like he's this picture perfect person who's never, never had a bump or a bruise and, and his bumps and bruises have been very public and he's learned from them and he's shared them and he'll talk about them in the hopes of helping somebody else. And, and people cherish him for that. I am really excited for the season to see him take the field again. I know we'll start seeing him over the summer here on campus a little bit, and hopefully Jen, you're on the call for some of the games with him yeah. this year as well. Fingers crossed when that NFL schedule comes out tomorrow, I'm going to be sitting there highlighting which ones I think my crew might could get. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you so much for spending some time talking to us about Tyron. It was great to hear about his background and kind of y'all's relationship as well. Oh, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Love talking to you too. Thanks to Jen for sharing those stories. Now for our conversation with our radio voice of the saints, Mike Haas. Mike, thank you so much for joining me on the New Orleans Saints podcast. I really appreciate it. I know this time of the year is a little different than it was for you last time of the year, uh, a year ago, when you were kind of not sure about this job that you had on your plate, possibly. So how are you doing right now? Yeah, it's much, much different. Last year at this time in May, uh, I was in the running, but because I, I was in the running in and in 2018, I saw you don't get your hopes up. You said, well, I get the job, I'll get the job. And so I was, you know, working, but I wasn't working nearly as hard as I needed to be. And so now, you know, I've known the, the, the teams they were going to play since January. So I, I'm able to work on the teams, on the Saints, on the draft, on free agency. I am uh, eons ahead of where I was last year. Still a ton of work to do, but man, it's it's. You know, I got the job in July 6th last year, and it was a, it was an uphill climb to get ready for 180 guys for that Baltimore preseason game. So uh, I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling better about that aspect uh, for, uh, this year. Definitely. I know I have people that have been reaching out saying, well, the season's over, you know, Saints is over, Pelican's over. So what are you even doing? What do you work on right now? So what is the preparation look like for you at this point? Well, for, you know, I also have two other jobs. So I work for the Superdome as communications and I have a, a video production company, but really radio is my focus. You know, it's, it's year, it's, as you know, it's cyclical, it's year round, it doesn't stop. And so really it's just about getting more up to speed with the saints and, and each of their players and each of their positions. Um, and then you can do peripherally, the teams who their opponents, especially the NFC South, because you're going to see those guys twice, mm -hmm. their, their draft and 
free agency. So I don't, I don't, I don't deal too much with Tampa Bay because they, they, they switch too quickly. <laughs> they the, the Buccaneers are, I'm going to wait a little bit on that. Let them settle down a little bit, but you know, with Atlanta and Carolina, with, with all the changes that they've had, it, it, it is a nice feeling to be able to kind of work on those teams. And then the, really the schedule is enormously difficult this year. And so getting a head start on those teams is, is a great benefit. You brought up the schedule. Now we don't know exactly when we will play the opponents that we do have on our schedule. That comes out Thursday night. But looking at who we are going to play, why did you think that it's going to be very difficult? I just see teams, you know, that are perennially very difficult. The Rams, you know, San Francisco, Seattle is not, you know, the Seattle that it once was. And very few teams are the teams that they once were with the changes that we've had this offseason. And then you just look at the NFC South with Tampa Bay and, and Brady back. Uh, the Rams, at, at Pittsburgh at home. Um, San Francisco, Philadelphia again. Man, wow, they have loaded up. Uh, you know, what, what a test for, for any secondary and so I just feel like it's going to be really interesting because of, of the quarterbacks that we really talked about in this draft, the Saints are going to see possibly three of them. We know they're going to see Kenny Pickett, Pittsburgh. And then the question is, will we see Matt Corral? Will we see Desmond you know, Ritter? Uh, that'll be interesting. You hope that those two <laughs> turn out to be really project third-round picks uh, from the Falcons and the Panthers since uh, so many teams pass on them, not just the Saints, but so many yeah. teams passed on them. Uh, but there's there's a really interesting quality about that. And then we know at least, you know, the schedule, like you say, comes out on the 12th, but we do know that it's London on October mm-hmm. 2nd, Minnesota. There's another team that the Saints, you know, are typically better than, but something always quirky happens in those games. And so I expect nothing different for Minnesota in London, October 2nd. How much are you looking forward to that game? Well, it'll be a first for me. I've been, you know, in different places, uh, Europe and, and Japan, but I've never been to London. So this will be a first. And, you know, to kind of get there and see how things are different, if at all, from, from a Sean Payton team to a Dennis Allen team, it'll be early October 2nd. You know, this was classic Sean, whatever they did, assuming there was a road game of some kind or a road game after, this would be a long trip. You pack mm-hmm. for London and another game. And they would stay together. That's what they did. I think it was 2017. And they played Carolina and then went uh, to London to play Miami. And what, what they do when they go to Seattle, they, they make long trips out of these things or when they go to the West Coast. So it'll be interesting. I think it'll be interesting just in general from – I don't know that we'll see a ton during – mini camp and OTAs, but we get into training camp. I think we'll start to see little flashes or little things from, from Dennis Allen that will veer, not much, but will veer a little bit from what we are used to, at least, gosh, it's been so long since 2006 with Sean. You've obviously gotten to know Dennis Allen as the defensive coordinator. For people that don't know him as well, what can they expect from him as a head coach or the type of person that he's going to be? I, you know, he's a, he's, he's a straight shooter. He's, 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 he's pretty short with his answers. He's not going to this long, you know, elaborations, but who knows things could change. Uh, but he's, he's, he, 
he seems very just fair. He's going to listen to the question and answer the question to the best of his ability. And so we'll see. You know, this is going to be a different year from, from that standpoint where we'll, the locker room is going to be open. We have the locker room open this weekend uh, for the first time, you know, what, since 2019. And so it's, it's, it'll, it'll get back to what we would say would be typical. He'll have his, you know, normal, you know, Monday and then usually Wednesday. And so now Coach Payton did not speak on Thursday. So, you know, will, will Dennis? Mm -hmm. And then Sean spoke on Friday. So you just don't know. I, I think, I, you know, I think what you see with Dennis Allen is what you get. I don't, I, I would be stunned if in October or November we're talking about, wow, this is a, such a different guy than we saw. I just don't, I don't, I, I don't see it. Yeah. You mentioned this upcoming weekend is the rookie mini camp that will be here at the Saints facility. There will be availability on Saturday. I know you'll be there. So we'll have a lot of um, coverage that comes out of that. And we're excited to see some of the top draft picks from this past draft and Chris Olave and then Trevor Penning, just to kind of see what they look like, but who else kind of stands out to you or what are you looking forward to? I'm really looking forward to seeing this whole class. This whole yeah. class to me is just unique where there's only five guys. And of course they have the, the undrafted free agents. And then you know, as far as I'm concerned, Tyron Matthew gets lumped into this whole, you know, <laughs> weekend so to speak but to me the, the way they were able to draft this class first of all they're all captains except for trevor and trevor was a captain in high school they're all older mm -hmm. when the season begins olavi will be 22 and then it's uh penning will be 23 and then the, the uh, taylor jackson and jackson will be 24 24 that is not old, <laughs> very, very young, but to be starting. But I mean, and they've all played a ton of games. They all played 40, 50 games in college. They're, they're all used to what would be prime time in that stage, especially Olave. They've all produced, they've all played special teams. They've all not just played special teams. They've all done amazing things on special teams. I've just never seen a draft class so kind of varied by position yet so similar if you just put down captain age, you know, qualities, that person, you couldn't tell which person of the draft I was talking about. So I think that's unique. And so that's, that's all, that's all well and good on paper. I, you know, it's got to mm -hmm. translate to the football field. Yeah. Um, you know, we're on a Kiwanis club here. <laughs> These guys got to, got to produce, but I, I'm really, I mean, look, I just look at the, the wide receiver room. And last year we, we talked, ad nauseum about the wide receiver room and it was kind of Marquez Callaway and if Deontay Hardy was healthy and that was kind of it you know there wasn't a whole lot now you throw in you begin with Mike Thomas Hardy's back Traquan Smith in the fourth year of his contract he's going to be playing as hungry as ever now Callaway becomes a whole different receiver and then Olave mm -hmm. and then a host of people at tight end I mean those are the areas you know this team last year uh, they ranked 31st in NFL passing yards, 192 a game, you know. So we had, you know, four different starting quarterbacks. There are a lot of things going on. But they ranked 31st. Uh, they were tied for last. Their wide receivers and tight ends last year combined for 11.8 receptions a game. So that was a pretty decent Michael Thomas game alone mm -hmm. in 20 
15. So that number is that number. That's 12 receptions a game by all of your wideouts and all of your tight ends. So that, that is an area to me, as well as just consistently running the ball better, I think would be two things that I would like to see of this offense, you know, if I were just to write things down going into this, this season. It seems like there's going to be less pressure on individuals to to step up, to be that guy, to carry the load. You know, there's going to be more offensive weapons. So that will definitely be good to see, which will hopefully help some of those numbers increase and then yeah, find some more I totally consistency. Agree. I mean, yeah. just who, who do you guard? You know, you're out there, well, you got Thomas and Olave and, and Deontay and, you know, Callaway. And then you throw, you know, Taysom Hill in, mm-hmm. in the slot as a tight end. Wow. You're right. It changes it's not on one guy's shoulders where I felt last year, you know, it was on Mark West Callaway's shoulders. You're, yeah. We, we designated him in training camp. You're the guy. All right. Okay. You're in your second year. You hadn't caught a touchdown pass yet in the NFL. And we said, you're the guy. And he <laughs> wore number one and he went, okay, I'm the guy, but that's tough. Yeah, definitely. What is the one matchup that you're looking forward to the most? I think a lot of people nationally, they're really excited about the Bengals game because of all the LSU connections and being in this area. Uh, what are you looking forward to? Yeah, there's a lot of good ones. Uh, it's for me, it's the Rams. You know, I was on that field on that day and I don't know that you'll ever get over that NFC championship game. And it's just, you know, we will talk about it. It'll every, it'll be ripping off the blister that whole week prior to that game. And it'll all feel raw again and mostly because this team was so good then and it really in line to win a Super Bowl maybe in 19 and 20 you know they, they that could have been you know a kickstart to who knows I mean at the time we were thinking oh they're going to win two maybe in the next four years and they didn't win any and that one was stolen and so that one still six in my craw a little bit. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to a lot of them, but I am looking for they, They're coming as the Super Bowl champs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to that Rams game. That's understandable. I guess I will have to check back in with you when the schedule's actually released and, and make sure that I reach out during that week just to check and make sure you're okay, that you're yeah. not getting too upset. You know, you're in a good headspace heading into that one. I will, I will, uh, I'll be, I, and I think the fans are the same way. I, you know, yeah. anybody that was there or around, you know, that was I've never seen the air sucked out of a building and a team like that. And, um, you know, we, we almost went to court over this thing. We had a rule change in the NFL over it. I'll be, yeah. you know, not the brightest thing in the world, but at least they did it and they acknowledged. So, yeah, it's, that's going to be a fun week. And, and what I'm interested, as you are as well, where, do, where does this team fit prime time? You know, they've always been mm-hmm. prime time guys in the Sean Payton era. Will that carry over with Dennis? I mean, the schedule really, you know, with the Phillies and the San Fran's and the Rams and the Bengals, you know, and all these teams, you know, kind of says there's some good matchups. We don't really know. Maybe they don't know about the Saints, you know, but this is a good matchup. So Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see where they fall in the primetime schedule. Looking at the Saints and the rest of the NFC South, we're going to leave this podcast on a high note. So what do you think the Saints are going to be able to do in that division? I think they will win the division. 
Here we go. I mean, Love it. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> how, how would you it's just, hey, Booty, they may not, but I mean, as you sit here today with the team that they have, and Tampa's going to be good, but certainly the Saints have had their number uh, regular season. Uh, Atlanta, who knows? I mean, Carolina, who knows? But those two teams, you're going to have to sweep one of them, if not both of them. You, you know, it, you can't go one and one, one and one, one and one in the NFC South. I, I think you're going to have to sweep one or two of those teams. But I think the Saints come out on top in the NFC South. They're just, they're just a, they're better than 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 those two teams. And, and Brady, if let's assume Brady's with the Buccaneers, right? Yeah, he hasn't jumped <laughs> just, a box. I am not a hundred percent convinced until I see it in September. <laughs> And run out of the tunnel that he's going to be with, with Tampa. But that, that to me will be the matchup Tampa and the Saints. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's been great catching up with you. I appreciate it. We'll be waiting the schedule release and I'll see you at camp this weekend. That's right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you. Great episode today. I hope you enjoyed it. And stay tuned to NewOrleansSaints.com for that schedule news, a breakdown from John and myself, and coverage of the Saints rookie minicamp, which takes place this week. Next week, we'll have another episode of the podcast for you on Wednesday. As always, you can tune in on Apple iTunes or NewOrleansSaints.com. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of the week.